Welcome to The Hype Within, exploring journeys of authentic leadership and growth. On the show, tech leaders will share their stories of developing their leadership skills and challenges they faced along the way. You'll learn about their approaches to self-reflection and personal growth and how they've been able to build a foundation of authenticity that has propelled them to success. I'm your host, Hannah Jakover, B2B marketing leader turned leadership and executive coach. Are you ready to get hyped up? Let's dive in. Today, we are here with Kyle Lacey, who's the CMO at Jellyfish. How's it going, Kyle? It's going great. Happy to be here. I'm so happy you're here. When I started this podcast, I started thinking about all the people that I wanted to have on it. You were like high on that list because we've had some really great conversations. We have. This is all about authentic leadership. And uh, it's rare, I feel like, for me to see that in in our space in tech, but also like in a white male. <laughs> Just going to say it. Well, you and I, we have been through that part for sure. That was really inspiring to me to see that from you. I think that that was such a mutually beneficial meeting, the start of our relationship, because then I was like so tapped into the things that you were sharing. So I'm just really happy to have you here and hear about your journey. Well, same goes to you. I cannot wait to talk about this. So tell me or our listeners a little bit about yourself and if you would define your leadership style. Yeah, so I started leading very early on. I guess leading and managing, we can redefine because I think anybody can really be a leader. You don't have to manage people. But I kind of fell into leadership doing management, honestly. I had an agency before I joined Exact Target after I graduated college. I wouldn't chalk my agency up to being a great leadership style because I wasn't. I was terrible. And that we ran the agency in the ground, which is a completely different conversation. But through that, I joined Exact Target and it was my first true manager role where I got to build a team from the ground up with a guy named Jeff Roars, who's now a CMO in the tech scene as well. Zach Target was bought by Salesforce. I got to experience what leadership was like in a large organization, led to jobs at a venture capital firm called OpenView. OpenView is a small venture capital firm. That's a completely different type of leadership because you're managing portfolio as well as partners, which you have a bunch of different bosses. And you have a bunch of different people that you need to speak to. And then lessonly was my first exec role in software. And I could spend this entire podcast just talking about the lessonly experience because I learned a lot of my leadership style. I would like to think from Max Yoder, who's the CEO of Lessonly. He wrote a great book called Do Better Work, which I talk about all the time. And so, you know, through that led to Seismic acquiring Lessonly. I was on the exec team at Seismic, which is a 2000 person company, very different than Lessonly. And then uh, now Jellyfish. And I had a sabbatical in between Seismic and Jellyfish. So for me, it's why I do what I do. It's why I love high growth software, the managing of people, seeing people grow in ways that you wouldn't see in traditional businesses just because you're moving so fast. So from a leadership style, I would say, I don't know. You probably have guests that are very eloquent with defining a leadership style. I'll give you a few words as, as a definer. It's hands-off, empathetic, and I'd like to say aggressive. So aggressively empathetic, maybe. I don't know. That's, that's terrible because I'm, you know, 
as marketers, we should be able to define what we are in a way that's meaningful. But I definitely learned empathy through Max and I've learned how to move fast in a way that's meaningful so people can grow being in venture back software. Aggressive empathy. <laughs> I mean, you could write a book about that. Aggressive empathy coming your way soon. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe I stole it from Kim Scott who wrote Radical Candor. That's pretty much what I'm talking about. How can you, how can you speak truth, but do it in a way that inspires people, doesn't run them into the ground? One of my books on my shelf here. So you mentioned Max Yoder. You posted about him the other day and that book. And you were talking about nonviolent communication, I think, as well, which I'm a huge fan of that framework. But I'm curious, thinking about influences and other inspirations besides Max, what else, either in your personal or your professional life, has been a big inspiration or influence in your journey? Yeah, I mean, I, I was very lucky to meet the CEO of Exact Target, Scott Dorsey, through a networking group in Indianapolis. Every city has the 40 under 40 mm -hmm. that the business journal runs. I got it when I was like 24 because I gained the system guaranteed, but I got it really early. And I met Scott through that though, because he, he had one earlier and, and that's a long story, but he truly understands how to invest in people and inspire people in a way that's very rare that I've seen. And there's very few people that I think do it really well. One thing he was, he is really good at is he just remembers everybody's name and one or two things about them. So he would walk, you're talking exact target was a pretty large software company in Indianapolis. He could walk through the hallways and say somebody's name and remember their kids' names or the kid was playing soccer or that the parents are moving back from Florida. Like it was unbelievable. And that taught me the importance of just fully investing in people and listening. He knew how to listen. He might have a photographic memory. I do not. So I've got to write all this stuff down. And then the other one that's had a huge influence is a guy named Joe Staples. He is now doing consulting, but he was CMO at uh, Workfront, Interactive Intelligence, and Motivocity, I think was his most recent one. I'm probably butchering that name. Sorry, Joe, if you're listening to this. I have a lot of respect for Joe because he has a value statement that he lives by and he has not changed it since he was 21 years old. Now, I might not agree with, with some of the values, but I have a lot of respect for him because he doesn't back down from why he lives those values. And it helped me both personally and professionally to say, I need to listen. I need to be empathetic. I need to understand how to communicate in a radical way, which Max taught me. And also for Joe, it was, how do you live by values instead of just going through life without fully understanding why you're here? Mm -hmm. Those are hard things to learn. Yeah. I haven't learned them, by the way. I mean, it's a, it's a moving target for sure. I always like to separate the leader development. Like as a person, you have to develop yourself as a leader versus the ship part, the leadership skills, the communication pieces, and the strategic planning, learning about the business. But thinking about the leader development, part of that really is personal growth. Professional development is so closely tied to your own personal development. Like you can't have one without the other. And I know you mentioned 
when talking about your influences, some of these people have helped you on the personal side too. What does that balance look like for you when you're trying to do that personal development, but also maintain professional progress? I don't separate the two. I never have. And that has been detrimental for me early on in my career because my ego, and I, there's plenty of people who have also said this. I'm not, I'm not saying anything new. My ego is definitely built within my career. And, you know, as I've had kids, gotten married, realized that the world doesn't revolve around me, that has changed pretty dramatically. Mm -hmm. But what hasn't changed is the things that I do on my, in my personal life, like the friendships I have, exercising daily. I went through hypnosis therapy recently, did a sabbatical, which I would be the first to say is a very, uh, I'm very lucky that I was able to do that, that I could take the time. That all helps me in my professional life. My therapist who specializes in hypnosis, I have learned things from him that I've applied in management, like peace of mind and breathing work and all this stuff that I think helps you communicate, helps you be a more grounded person, but everybody's different, right? The things that I've learned in the office, like nonviolent communication, radical candor helped me in my whole life too, with my kids and my wife and my parents. So I just don't separate the two because I love what I do and I love my family. And I think I do a pretty good job, at least over the past four or five years, balancing where I'm giving equal amount of time. And that fluctuates, of course. I might be working a 12-hour day before board meeting, but that's not every day. Right. It's the exception, not the rule. Right. That's the way to go where you don't separate them. Traditional leadership or the traditional view on you know, home stays here, work stays here. Like that's so broken. It doesn't work. No, because it's not realistic. I would assume that social and the phone and us being present 24 seven, whether family or work has influenced that pretty dramatically over the last 20 years. I can actually remember when I had a job in high school where there wasn't a computer and I was walking out of the office and I didn't talk to anybody in the job until I got back to the office the next day, right? I can very much imagine a separation of church and state in that type of environment. It's different for industries too. I choose this industry. You chose this industry, right? And venture-backed software where it's growth as a primary means to success is just different. You're pushing the gas pedal down a little bit harder than, than most, but I have a friend that runs a concrete cutting business and he also has issues with the balance and trying to figure out how to do that. So it's different for everybody, it's different for businesses, but I don't see how you separate them anymore. I don't either, which means like major um, evolutions in terms of leadership and how you lead people knowing that. I want to ask you a question because this comes up a lot in my coaching sessions. And I asked a lot of my coaches this question. I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer, but you mentioned ego. What do you think ego is? Oh, great question. I think there's, there is positive and negative to ego. So my belief in my ability to do anything, I think plays into ego. But there's a selfish side to it, right? It's a drive component of ego that has helped me in my career where I will go 
tackle something without having any idea how to do it because I have this egotistical thought and man, it could be selfish. I don't know that, that I can do it for no reason. There's no data to back that up. And I think that might be more drive, but the, the selfish side of ego, which is more, uh, I am doing this for me is, is what has been detrimental to me in the past, both from a burnout perspective, as well as how I manage. From a professional development standpoint, my belief in myself, the pride that I have for what I've done has helped me, but the selfish side is not. I feel like you need to learn about your ego, what it means to you, and actually work with it instead of just like as off ego because it's probably not even possible to do. Well, it's not realistic, right? It's not realistic to do that. And you can have positive self-esteem and you can feel self-important. But when that affects other people negatively, it's, it's the wrong way to do it. But if you try to check your ego constantly, you're not, you're not going to get to where you want to be because you've got to have some type of drive there. And we all have this. Uh, Richard Dawkins calls it the selfish gene, which is his book by the same title, The Evolution of Selfishness. And it's part of being human. Yeah, it is. Are you familiar with um, Tim Galloway's self one and self two from the inner game. I'm not, I'm not. Okay. You have this self one version where it, it's quote unquote, like ego driven and you're not fully tapped into your full potential. You'll also see some people call this the judge where you're getting a lot of self-criticism, uh, lack of confidence, that like quote unquote imposter syndrome or fear. And then self two is really that flow state not knowing of, I can do these things having that self-worth, that self-love. So then just balancing, okay, when is my self-one activated? When is my self-two activated? And how do I continue to keep my self-two activated? And what are the things I need to look out for if self-one is creeping in? Well, one from his, uh, I just, the book, The Inner Game, there's a quote says, stop trying so hard. Great music and art are said to arise from the quiet depths of the unconscious and true expressions of love are said to come from a source which lies beneath words and thoughts. So it is with the greatest efforts in sports, they come when the mind is as still as a glass lake. Woof! So good. I mean, poetic for sure. Like it doesn't matter what he says if he writes like that. But I think when we talk about ego and, and I think that if you are true to yourself and you understand how to function, and your belief in yourself is strong, you don't have to try so hard. And I think we can all tell when people are trying too hard, but it's a belief in yourself. And I've had to learn over the past four years, five years through Leslie and Seismic and now Jellyfish that um, my inner critic is probably the one thing that I need to focus on. Like, I don't care about anybody else, really, what you're saying about, but the inner critic is, is also ego. And the inner critic is usually extremely egotistical. Phil Stutz calls it the shadow self or something like that. Ego plays a huge role in everything we do. What are your, the strategies that you have in place to quiet your judge? First of all, have you named your judge? No, I probably should. I read the tools, which is the Phil Stutz book, and it's based, you know, the Netflix uh, documentary called Stutz and my hypnosis therapist, John Hunkler subscribes to the tools work. And in the tools, that's your shadow. Yeah. I should call it like Carl or Kylie <laughs> or something. 
Carl. Carl, my shadow self, is just a, he's such a jerk. Such a jerk. <laughs> Mine's Ursula, and she's the worst. Ursula. <laughs> she's terrible. Ursula's great. That's the, that, uh, no offense to anybody listening with the name Ursula, but that's a great name for a shadow self. <laughs> With positive intelligence, you do this like really intense visualization. Yeah. 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 Same with the tools. It's Ursula. That's what came up for me. <laughs> the tools, you do visualization around standing on a stage in front of everyone that's important to you and putting your shadow self next to you and presenting something with your shadow self so they can see you as your shadow self, like everybody that you care about. Of course, you have to do a pretty like repetition is very important and it's more of a visualization. So I, that I'm going to name, it's definitely Carl with a K. Carl with a K. <laughs> um, okay. I want to hear a little bit about hypnosis and then I promise everybody will dive into some, I mean, this is all leadership, but maybe more yeah. tactical leadership skills. Tell me about hypnosis and how that has enhanced your leadership. Yeah, there's an individual in Indy named John Hunkler who does hypnosis. It's five weeks, do five one-hour sessions. And what it did for me, other than introduce me to this mindfulness around the tools, which everybody has a different book that they want to reference that has helped them. But what it did for me was learn how to control my, the inner voice in my head in a way that is meaningful and also to meditate in a different way. I don't know what it was about being hypnotized. And if you have been hypnotized before and you're listening to this, it's not what you think it is. You're still fully aware. It is quite an experience. I highly recommend at least doing it once or twice. It got me into this 10 to 15 minute meditation where if I ever feel overwhelmed or going to go to sleep or I'm starting the day, I have a track, a 10 minute track that I listen to that helps me meditate. And I've tried meditation multiple times, but for some reason doing it this way through hypnosis grounded me and has just my stress levels gone down. I'm more present and clear minded just, just from the meditation. And that has ramifications across the board mm -hmm. for leadership, for my personal life. It has also helped me walking into situations where I would have anxiety or be stressed out about, whether that's a board meeting or meeting people or trying to you know, going into a fundraising meeting, whatever. It has really helped me just be more grounded. And I think that helps because it also calms people around you as well. It's just been a massive uh, one-up for me the past six months that's amazing it's such a cool cool and effective tool and i use it as well do you do any brainwave entertainment i'm gonna check that out so i'm super into brainwaves i'm such a neuroscience nerd but it's similar to where you would be in a um like that state that hypnosis brings you into but you're just leveraging sounds that pretty much manipulate your brainwaves to get you there there's just so many tools that you can use to either, okay, I'm going to sleep or I have a board meeting in 10 minutes and I'm freaking out. Like, how do I regulate my nervous system? How do I bring myself down to, you know, that zero point where 
I am good. And I think there's also something to be said too about your statement on helping other people calm down. Like when you are regulated, other people can also be regulated. And it's not like your job to regulate other people, but you can influence or inspire that regulation simply by being regulated yourself. And be regulated. I mean, well, let's throw in another trendy topic, which everybody's talking about, which I fully support is sleep. All this stuff helps you sleep better. Like I've cut, I've cut a lot of stuff out that just getting good sleep is transformative as well. When we're talking about being a better leader, being a better parent, being a better person. I mean, yeah, I could talk forever about that, but yeah, I would, it's helped in all aspects of my life. I want to transition a little bit and talk about your transitions in your career and moving from, you know, Lesson lead, science mix, now jellyfish. What does that mean for your leadership style and communication? Like, how do you adapt those things to integrate with new teams and cultures? Some mistakes that people make that I made moving from lesson lead to seismic was I assumed that my leadership style, my leadership team, the way that we thought about things at lesson lead would be fully transferable to seismic. And that just wasn't the case. Seismic was a hell of a lot bigger, is a hell of a lot bigger. They have a different type of working style, which is a positive one. It's not negative. It's just different than lessonly. And I also underestimated the amount of support being like a, uh, on-call therapist for all the lessonly employees that were feeling the culture shift. I underestimated the drain that that would take on me as a leader. And I did not regulate myself in a way that was meaningful so I could handle it. My communication style and the importance of managing up and the importance of alignment when it comes to communication, the importance of what we've already talked about, which is radical candor with people, share before ready, nonviolent communication. That didn't change. That hasn't changed for me from Lessonly, where I started at Seismic to now Jellyfish. The sizes of teams, it's the amount of people you have to communicate with. You know, it's always hindsight. But if I went back to the Seismic world, I think I would be able to handle it better because I've experienced it for a year. And I feel like I have better control over my inner, what do we say, Carl shadow self. I think that the communication styles, you don't change, but you have to understand that you do need to evolve in the way you think about building teams. There are people that are built for 200 million in revenue, 300 million, 400 million, a billion in revenue. And there are people built for 10 to 20 million revenue. And the sooner you realize that in the world that we live in, the better, because you'll make better hiring decisions and better hiring decisions being less stress on you as a leader which has ramifications across the board. Say you're looking to build in a larger scale organization, a really effective, high-performing team. What are some of the attributes or qualities that you look for? When you seek to understand somebody, it's a good gauge of whether you can scale as a leader within an organization that I'm taking uh, over. If a leader comes to me, and is seeking to understand me as a leader, like a great, a great tool is here's how to work with me, doc. 
you know, you can use predictive index or Myers-Briggs or DISC or whatever the hell you want to use, the Enneagram. I don't care. But a how you work with me, Doc, is extremely helpful, or at least having the conversation. There is a servant attitude that I think is important. And and I don't I don't want to go as far as like go read about servant leadership, but you're not necessarily leading a team, you're serving a team. And that's how I think about leadership in general. It doesn't matter the size. The other thing to take into account is your boss. When I came out of taking a break and had my mind right, I talked to a ton of CEOs. Andrew at Jellyfish was the only one that started the conversation with questions about how I built teams and my leadership style. And that made a massive impact on me as I was looking for my next thing, because most of the time they'd come in and question me about revenue and pipeline. And then maybe we would get to team development. But Andrew, that's Andrew with, that was his first question. Like, how do you think about evolving teams, building teams, leadership style? He tried to guess my Myers-Briggs and he was right on even before I took it. So good for him. It's seeking servant leaders, seeking somebody that is trying to understand working styles. And also your boss has a huge influence on your leadership style and your development as a leader. What is your Myers-Briggs? I know you're going to ask me that. ENFP, sometimes ENFJ. Oh, that's rare. <laughs> I'm like right on the ENFP, ENFJ line. Yeah, I feel like sometimes the P and the J are like very, very separate lanes. We just went through a workshop at Jellyfish around Myers-Briggs for, for a couple of people. I'm more of a PI disc person, but I love the Myers-Briggs stuff. I use disc. At Exact Target, use predictive index at Lessonly. I will have a Myers Briggs session for my team because it's just so important. It's a guide. It isn't. It isn't necessarily the the uh, the truth of a person, but it's definitely a guide on how you communicate with people. Yes. Yeah. It's it's such a great tool for that reason. And and I mean, I do think there is a lot you can learn about yourself, especially if you're doing like Strengths Finder, where what are your strengths? What do you need to double down on? And what are your learning edges? And lots to be said about that. I have an assessment for you. Great. <laughs> it's a fun one. <laughs> Perfect. It's called Lead or Leave. And this assessment involves me sharing a couple different situations with you and you letting me know if you would lead in that situation or if you would leave. Okay. I'm ready. Yes. Okay, I'm picking randomly, although it's not a very uh, methodical system here. Okay. Oh, this one came up first. Abolishing performance reviews. Oh, would I lead or lead? Uh, I would probably say I'm not doing that. I find uh, performance reviews done well, which is hard to come by sometimes, are huge for especially people younger in their careers, they need it. I don't, I don't, yeah, I would, I would definitely say, hey, this is not right. Okay, lead or leave, voicing disagreement with a superior's decision during a company-wide meeting. <laughs> uh, definitely not. <laughs> no, you don't do that. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's what we call the Carl ego. Yeah, the... well, some people do it. I know. <laughs> I know there is a right or wrong way to do things. You do not. 
Well, you shouldn't do that. It doesn't even mean that it's a leader. I don't care if it's your boss. You shouldn't do that in general in an open forum unless it's asked for. Okay. Lead or leave. Scheduling an impromptu roast the boss event show to demonstrate to your team that you can laugh at yourself. Oh, I believe that. I would do that. That one's fun. Yeah. They roast me anyway, so this would just be be another day. <laughs> you could formalize it. Yeah. yeah. Elon Musk has decided to buy your company and you just found out. Lead or leave? Leave. That's the uh, common answer. Yeah. I get it. I mean, that's a much longer conversation about Elon in general. I think there's there's some to love and some to hate. I uh, I don't think I could handle it mentally. Life's too short. There's no <laughs> way. There's no way I would be able to handle it. Nope. Okay. Speaking of disrupting traditional leadership. <laughs> oh, my God. That was a perfect segue. That was a great segue. Besides, you know, not working with Elon... What other ways do you try to or have you uh, challenge traditional leadership? One of the main ways I do, I think, and you can correct me here, I take a pretty proactive approach with all team members' careers. And I'm very open with the team saying, my job, other than the job that you're in today, is to help you do that job better but also it's to help you get your next best thing. And if your next best thing's not here, I want to be one to help you get that outside of the company. I want my team to leave this company and not have to use their resume to get a job ever again because they have networked appropriately, they've built a brand appropriately, they understand how to communicate appropriately. I ask my team, if you get competing offers, I want to talk to you about it. Ben Battaglia is someone that you should have on this show for sure. He was a marketing leader at Lessonly, and he had a offer to go be a VP of marketing at a startup. And we spent a ton of time talking about the pluses and minuses. And eventually we came to the decision that's a great opportunity for him and he left. And it was not the best decision for Lessonly, but it was the best decision for him. I think that's unique because I want people to make their best career decisions, especially in the world we live in where, you know, I've been through three jobs since 2012 and I, and I stick around places. Some people since 2012 have been in 10 jobs, right? And hydro software, you don't stick around for that long because the lifetimes of companies are just shorter and we're all going to work together in different forms. That's the more non-traditional element of my leadership style for sure. I think it combines this element of how important relationship building is to you and also coaching. Yeah. Not for compliance. It's yep. for compassion about who this human is and what's best for them, which I do also think is is pretty rare and challenges the traditional mindset. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, I think younger people need to hear that from leaders. They need to, they need to say, Hey, I care about what you're currently doing in your job because it's a job, mm -hmm. right? Like you were hired to do something and that's important, but I also care about you not putting your head down and not thinking about the next thing. Now, if you're all, if you're only thinking about the next thing and you're not hitting your OKRs and your project, then yeah, we've got a problem. But if you are a high performer, some high performers I meet don't think about what the next thing is 
and then the company gets bought or they get fired or they have IPO and now they don't want to be at a bigger company, whatever, whatever the outcome is, then they don't know what the next step is. That's a failure on their part, but it's also a failure on their manager's part because the manager should have been coaching them on the career, not the job. That's the most important part of leadership, in my opinion, especially in, in our world of software. It's because it's, it's, it's so cutthroat. Yeah. And moves very quickly. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Last question for emerging executives out there. What uh, experiences, resources, exercise, whatever you want to throw out there, what would you recommend to them? I've said this already and I say it in every podcast and it's not because it came out of lesser way. Do Better Work is one of the best leadership books I've ever read. I read it twice a year, if not more. It's a quick read. You can go find it on Amazon. From a resource perspective, it is the best when it comes to communication. From a creativity standpoint, there's an author. Well, he, he was vice chairman of Ogilvy, Rory Sutherland. He wrote a book called Alchemy, and it's all about the illogical part of marketing and creativity. So Do Better Work, Alchemy, and then Radical Candor is probably one of the better leadership books that have been written in the past decade. Agree. Thank you so much for being on the show, sharing your wisdom, your stories, your tools, all of that, um, and just showcasing to current leaders and emerging executives and leaders out there what authentic leadership can look like and what it should look like and how to get there. Uh, thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you walk away with something empowering that you can take into your own leadership journey. Are you a high-performing executive looking to take your career to the next level? Or maybe you're an emerging leader who wants to develop the skills you need to advance in your role and show up authentically. Or maybe you're experiencing burnout and struggling to find a better work-life balance. Whatever your situation is, one-on-one -on -one coaching can help you achieve your personal and professional goals. If you're interested in experiencing the power of coaching for yourself, head on over to hypehousecoaching.com backslash start coaching now where you can set up a one-on-one -on -one leadership and executive coaching intro session for free. Remember, the only hype that really matters is the hype within.